0: It's so good to be here with you this morning. I remember the days of setup and teardown at Palmetto Baptist Church, and actually those at Palmetto Baptist Church are still living those days, just like you are here at Crossview. Um, there is a whole other side of things where it becomes a labor of love to get everything set up and torn down. I get it, but it's also extremely challenging to maintain a building. I just want to keep that in mind. The church is not a building. It's the people God brings together. Buildings just help facilitate things, and I'm praying that you'll get one. Um, As I was driving through the area, I'm looking at all the churches. I see a couple here and there and wondering if there are any vacant churches that you guys could access or something. But um, I know you have that on your mind and heart. But from someone coming from the outside, having visited here before when you met in the other room, it is so exciting to see the gospel growth. And to hear the singing is a good indication of God doing a work. And look, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And all of you come with different perspectives this morning. You may have come with a great burden on your heart. In fact, probably most of us have, right? If we're being honest, we have something that's really weighing us down. I hope that our look in the Psalms today would be an encouragement to you. It's very um, providential that there, we'd start with Psalm 103 and have Psalm 73 read And now as you see, I hope you have a handout, Um, you're going to see an outline and I'm going to do a quick overview of the context of the Psalms and then look specifically at Psalm 1. And I'll tell you at the very beginning, if you didn't figure it out or didn't know this from the brief bio, I taught Bible for 14 years. So if you're going to feel like this sounds more like he's teaching than preaching, I don't know any other way. Um, I, I just a, a teaching preacher or preaching teacher I don't know how you want to take it but but uh, without apology again I'm just saying I'm just going to share the word and I hope it's an encouragement to your soul as it has been to mine we want to talk about happiness we want to talk about success in the inner city of Minneapolis all sorts of definitions get thrown around some of them has to do with money almost all of them have to do with money get a lot of money you get the American dream you can get out of there. Some get so much money so quickly, they realize that it's not getting out into the suburbs. It's staying put and bringing money and buying the cars and having power. And that's only short-lived, and it ends up either in death or prison for many there. Um, there's others that will come to church with hopes that they give their $10, and then God would multiply it, and it would become a $1,000. That's that health, wealth, prosperity, gospel thing going on. That's a big deal in the Minneapolis area, and you may be coming saying, "If I come to church and I sit under the preaching, the teaching of the Word, perhaps God will do something in my life to change me and make my life better. I can guarantee you this: that God is here to give us life and life more abundantly. That's John 1010. 10. Does that look like health, wealth, and prosperity? No, not always. could it? It could, but his primary blessing is to you spiritually to give you a perspective of peace and purpose. In a direction. So, I want to talk about Psalms and try to understand it. Finding lasting success is where we're going to end up in Psalm 1. But let's start with the first page here uh, of the outline. If you think of Psalms as a book, and I hope you have your Bible so you can look at some of the things with me or on your phone, Israel's hymn book is the one that is termed the most 150 different songs all compiled together, songs that could be sung in songs that were sung by Jesus and his disciples and have been, have been sung throughout the centuries with the church. But that is too limited of a definition because, as you see, the secondary definition would be a personal journal. And If you consider the different types of songs recorded in the 150, you'll find psalms of lament, you'll find imprecatory psalms, which would be singing songs of judgment on people you don't like, which seems really odd And trying to understand, do I have the right to do that if my teacher is ticking me off, Lord caused him to break his leg or something? No, is the quick answer to that. Um, the New Testament says, pray for your enemies and to those who do things that you don't want done to you. But it's all understanding it within the context of when it was written. Um, there are songs that deal with blessing, as we heard from Psalm 103, which is a great song. Some songs of reflection, and I don't know how many of you take some time to journal down your thoughts. I've heard it's a good idea. You know, really successful people journal every day. You know that? So I've tried to become really successful, and it hasn't worked as well for me. I have so many journals. I have them if I, I was looking for my uh, computer bag. It's in my car. But I have different, I have probably six or seven, and I'll grab them and write stuff in. And, you know, but I don't have that set diary discipline. But if you can get there, it's really, really healthy to reflect, and the Psalms contain all of these. Notice the background, the variety of background. You see that on your sheet. You've got a bunch of different people writing the Psalms. David is the number one author of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And then you have guys like Asaph, sons of Korah, which even that one. Remember Korah and what he did in rebellion against Moses? and Yet his descendants, some of them decided, I'm not going that way. I'm going to choose God's way, which is pretty phenomenal. And God used them to write songs. You have Solomon, who's written a couple, Ethan, the Ezraite, and you see lists of the other ones. Even Moses makes it in there. The context, though, of when all of the books were collected, Psalm 137, okay? So I'm just going to reference it. You could turn there if you wanted to, but in this case, I'll just kind of give you an idea. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. So we have a context of the time frame during exile, they're by the rivers of Babylon. They sat down. And it is an imprecatory psalm, which at the end of it, the psalmist says, I don't want to sing your little, I don't want to sing my songs to you, because they said, sing us one of your little ditties. I don't want to do that. Actually, I got a better idea. May someone take your babies and crush their heads on the rock. And that's the end of the song. are like, oh my, okay. That's intense. It gives us a time frame And some would say that it was all collected, all 150 of them, put together from all these different authors sometime later on, not something that you would say maybe even Second Temple time. But notice the structure. And if we're trying to figure out who wrote what, let me just show this to you. Look at Psalm 3. Have your Bible open, turn over to Psalm 3. It has a little uh, subtitle, and it says in Psalm 3, a psalm of... Can someone say it? David, when he fled from Absalom the son. Look at chapter four or Psalm four into the choirmaster with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. You keep going, you have chapter five, same thing, chapter six, same thing. And we see chapter seven, same thing. And it goes all that way through three through nine. And then we have a, a break where there's no title given to it as to who wrote it. So some of them, we don't know the authorship. But I just want you to note, that it's important for us as we try to enjoy what success looks like, which I'm going to push you towards spending time with the Lord in a relationship that's real and personal. And how do you do that? You're getting in his word. Specifically, my encouragement to you is to spend some time getting to know God through the Psalms. Variety of ways to do that. But when we do it, don't just say, "Okay, I'm going to try reading a Psalm today and just randomly pick one. If you, you pick one, start trying to understand who said this, who wrote it, what was the context of it, so who said what, to whom and why, and then what does it mean to me? It's super helpful. But there's a variety of authors, but we also see that there are certain psalms that go together. If you turn over to Psalm 120, turn over to Psalm 120, we are identifying subtitles here and trying to understand how they fit together, and it tells us in Psalm 120... In the ESV I have, subtitle says, A Song of Ascents. Some of your Bibles are going to have Song of Degrees. There's different things that are listed, but if you notice from 120 all the way to 134, the same title is given to it. So there's 15 songs that belong together. See that 120, 121, 122, 123, Song of ascent, Song of ascent, or Song of Degrees, Song of Degrees. Why are they all put together? Well, if we look at the context, we see they're ascending somewhere, and they're ascending up to worship God in Jerusalem. So some believe it's a record of the songs sung as they walked up to the city. Others would say there are 15 steps. I think this is a little bit of a stretch, but they'll say there are 15 steps leading into the temple, and at each step they would stop and sing a song. And some of these songs are pretty familiar Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills, Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So a lot of these familiar ones, they all go together. I've also thought it's really fascinating as you consider the Psalms together as a group. Five of the 15 have no author. Ten of them have authorship. Five don't and some will speculate who wrote the collection and put it together, and and some think uh, King Hezekiah did when he had 15 years of life given back to him when the sundial was turned back 10 degrees. Speculation, but worthy of looking into understanding who said it, why they said it, and then starting to go, what does this mean to me in connection is really important. The Psalm 22 to 24 Psalm 23 is the most famous one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So if you look at it in connection, though, Psalm 22, as I have listed for you, it's the shepherd dying for his sheep. who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. That must be the end of a book. So it's pretty clear like that. You don't even, you can see it. And in, in my Bible, I have the beginning on chapter 73. It says book three. So why is it divided into five books? Well, if we look at the content of what's taught, In book one, it's about man. In book two, it's about deliverance. Book three, sanctuary. We read in book three already from the very beginning about until I went into the sanctuary and there I understood their end. Um, Psalm eight is a really popular one that talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and demonstration uh, of, of the man being the pinnacle of all creation. Psalm 19, heavens declaring the glory of God deliverance, a a deer panting at the water brooks for water. So my soul pants for you. I want to be delivered to you. Psalm 42, uh, the wandering in book four from Psalm 90. And I think 92 is a great one. How long are our days? Well, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom as we wander through. And then, man, the word of the Lord, you can't get better than Psalm 119, can you? the longest psalm in all of the, of the Bible. Uh, how many in here know the Hebrew alphabet? Okay, we've got one. Anybody else? Hebrew alphabet? Okay, guess what? You can all know it, and this is going to be the greatest blessing from Sunday morning. Probably not, but I'm going to show you something. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. In in groups of eight verses, we have the longest Psalm or song recorded in all of scripture because it goes 176 verses. And notice what it starts out with Psalm 1, 19. The subtitle is Aleph. You see in verse 9, what's the next word that's the subtitle? Do you have it in your Bibles? Beit. And then verse 17, Gimel. And if you keep going, you have 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet given to you. It's a gift so you can memorize it. Like When you read that on your own, you say, what is Aleph? Like What in the world? It's, it's this amazing acronym. Every single verse of the eight verses in that section starts with the first letter of the Hebrew language. In that next one, you have Beth. Every single line of, that first, of those eight verses start with that. So it's masterfully put together for an intent for us to learn, learn to love the word of the Lord. So, All that being said, take a look at that. These are the main themes for the five books. Where else in Scripture do we see five books put together? I see one whisper out the right answer. Anybody idea? The Pentateuch or the Torah. Okay, so check this out. This shows us that there's a match, Genesis what does it talk about? It talks about man, Exodus, deliverance, of course, Leviticus, the sanctuary, the temple and the sacrifices, Numbers, the wandering and Deuteronomy, word of the Lord. Why does that matter? Because if you're like me and you're zealous about reading through the Bible and I hate saying it like this in a year because it guilts everybody, how about just make it your goal to read through the Bible. Even if it takes you 3 years, 5 years, it doesn't matter, just read through the Bible. And as you're getting into Leviticus, you're going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like, like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? So why don't read the uh, book three of Psalms while you're trying to work your way through Leviticus? Just to kind of supplement, like, just jump in. It's like a workout. You're working really hard. Like, okay, now i got to take a break. I'm going to go over to the Psalms and try to lean, uh, learn from it and glean from it. I found it to be super, super helpful. Um, and, and it's been a joy to work through the Psalms. Psalm one, and 1 through 2 serves as the introduction and 146 to 150, a conclusion. Um, this is something that we've already noted through the Scripture reading this morning. It was Joel, I believe, who mentioned the connection between the blessed and blessed. You can find that in the beginning of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2. And I'm done with this overview of Psalms. But I just want you to know that there's much we can learn from it, okay? So when you come to the Bible, don't just kind of Russian roulette it and just open it up and say, okay, what are you going to teach me, God? You actually need to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as you do that, you will receive such great benefit and blessing from it. So now, you can either flip the page over or turn to Psalm 1 because we're going to stay right there, okay? Psalm 1, I want to highlight, illustrate this as we have an overview of the Psalms, give you a highlight of what we can learn from a very, very familiar psalm. But, you know, the best thing we could do, of course, is read it together. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree Now, we start with this very familiar word, blessed, in verse 1. This is another word for saying happy. So happy means fortunate or from the root word, asher, which has the idea of going straight, not deviating from the path. Walking, going along, advancing, making progress. So when we think about it that way, that's great. That's kind of a lexical definition. But what does it mean to actually be happy? Get happy, right? (laughs) Everyone, be happy. Well, we don't want to fake the happiness. Um, perhaps you would see it as uh, an interjection of different joyful, I am so happy about, and then you name whoever won the football game that you wanted them to win. You're like I'm so happy Alabama won. It didn't look like it in the first half, but they took it and took care of it. Maybe you're happy about a child being born, more important, right? Maybe you're happy about your church growing, But this can be an interjection, which we find in Deuteronomy and 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But the world does give us a definition. Happiness is a state of well-being and contentment, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. I've heard some use this term. It's the art of figuring out what makes you happy and learning how to ask for it. So success is learning how you can be happy and then This is what will make me happy. I know what will make me fulfilled, content, and I'm not going to ask for it. That is the world's definition of it. Okay? I want to be clear about this. Because it is dangerous for us to start with self. What is it that I need? What is it that will make me happy? Ultimately, where we need to start is who is God, what would please him? That's what I want to make it my aim to please Him. And as I make it my aim to please Him, He will bless me with great happiness. He will bless me. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, are you going to make a distinction between joy and happiness? We could get into all of those distinctions. But I want to remove that and just think about this idea of what makes you say, I am living a meaningful life, a direction that pleases God. So I want to consider this first, the contrast. Look down at verse 6. I want to challenge you to get honest about your situation. Everybody listening to me right now is in one of two places. There does not exist someone in here who's in between or on the fence trying to figure it out. Now, a lot of people think that, well, I'm just, you know, I'm young or I'm in transition or I'm telling you, you are either on one side or the other side. There's no in between. And this is what verse 6 says. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What we see here is we have two different types of paths. The word for way in verse 6 has to do with a distance or a path or a road. Um, Psalm uh, Proverbs thirty nineteen says, The way of the eagle in the sky, the way of the serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a damsel. There's a way, there's a path, there's a direction, and there's two different types of people. And don't miss this. The first type of person that is listed here, he knows the way of the righteous person. The righteous person here is the singular Hebrew word for man, which is ish. If you go back into verse 1, blessed is the ish, the man. This is a picture of, or the example of, a godly person. This Psalm 1 lays out the foundation for all the psalms by introducing to us this amazing concept that if you want to know how to please God, you need to follow this instruction. This is how you're going to find success. But if you want to go the opposite direction, verse 6 says, but the way of the wicked will perish. A well, Wicked is defined as those that are not in right relationship with God, those who live according to their passions, those who may do kind and charitable deeds. Notice this. Wicked people can do really nice things for people, but God's evaluation of them is that they are without eternal merit. Just because you give a lot of money away or help someone who's hurting or someone who's stalled on the side of the road and give them a ride, it doesn't make you righteous. The only way to become righteous is through Jesus Christ replacing your filthy robes with his righteous robes. There's two ways. Either you are today in the category of righteous or you're in the category of wicked. And when I say that, and when I've said that before, some, a lot of times they're like, well, you know, I, I know I'm saved, but I kind of messed up a little bit recently. You're either righteous or you're wicked. Your righteousness is not based on your performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus. Now, even one who has received the full righteousness of Christ, I could struggle with life-besetting sin that doesn't make me an unbeliever. I become unhappy, discontent with myself because I'm choosing the wrong way, but my righteousness never changes. But if you're on the other side and you've never accepted Christ, you are headed in a wrong direction, a place that leads to destruction. I met with a guy in the hospital uh, two weeks ago. Fifth time he's overdosed. This one was on heroin and vodka. The guy I th- I'm convinced was trying to kill himself because he was so fed up with it. He has seven kids with the same woman who is not his wife. And he, in my discussions with him, he made a profession of faith in my office at church when he was at one of those desperate situations. You know, like, I, I just got to change. And I talked with him about it. And I was saying, look, just because you make this decision doesn't mean life's going to all come together for you. It's a spiritual change. It's going to require work on your part to put your life together. Get a job, find a place to live, all this kind of stuff. Well, he's laying in the bed, and I was like, "So," and I, I stayed, stated his name. I said, "What are you going to do?" I was like, man, preacher, I don't know. And I'm not used to people in Minneapolis calling me preacher. That's more like a Southern thing, but he does. He's like, man, preacher, I don't know. He's like, I mean, I know what you want me to do. Because, but I just, man. I said, well, first of all, where are you? Righteous or wicked, bro? He's like, well, um, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a a Christian, but man, I don't want to go to some treatment program that doesn't have soft beds and and good food. Like, I want to be able to work my way through it the right way. It's just like, do you hear yourself? Do you see your kids? Do you care? I'm really concerned for this brother, and I don't even know if he's a brother. I'm concerned for this man because he's not choosing to admit where he is and change. And that's the hardest thing for us to get honest about where we are. I had a teenager that called me in the middle of the night and he was uh, driving the wrong way on a major highway. He grew up in a good Christian home. He was, uh, in all respects, looked like the good Christian kid who would do the right things. But he called me, he said, Pastor Jay, I'm trying to find someone to run into. I said, you need to stop right now because that would be murder. Secondly, I don't want you to end your life and I, he, I said, where are you? He gave me the, the scopes. It was in Minneapolis. I said, there's a Perkins restaurant over there. Get off the on-ramp, on right? And, and be careful. And, he, and I met him there. And he went on describing to me how he had been faking it for 16 years. His parents thought he was in because he would do what he thought they wanted him to do. But in his heart, he knew he didn't buy in. And there at that Perkins restaurant, he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. So I am talking to you today because I believe in this room there may be someone like that today where you're faking it. You don't have to be a teenager. You may be a grown adult. You may be in your retirement years. I don't know. But God knows. He sees right into your heart and I'm desperately asking you, do understand this. Jesus loves you and he wants you to turn to him. There's only two ways, righteous or wicked. You got to choose. The path to happiness is is through righteousness, and that righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. The caution, verses one through two. Be deliberate about your sanctification. Notice it says here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Now, I'm not thinking that you haven't heard this part before, the walking, standing, sitting, but just please understand the digression that takes place. What you have here. Is you have this process of someone who's walking along with the wrong opinion, and then someone who's standing, and then someone who finally sits down and begins scoffing. Maybe it will help with Charles Spurgeon, his Treasury of David. This is what he said When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. So what would be a practical reason for evil? A practical reason for evil would be, I'm really tired because I worked all all week long. I don't want to come to church because I know I deserve a break today. That's a a practical thing. It becomes a habit. Once it is habituated to evil, they stand in the way of the open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if they're left alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent tempters and teachers of others unless they sit in the seat of the scornful. And I think it's interesting there's a twofold process. It's put off and put on in verse 1. It's putting off deceptive practices. That's the walking, standing, sitting, and it's putting off the bad influences. What are the influences? Well, it's listed here for us in verse 1. It's the counsel of the wicked. It's the way of the sinner. It's the seat of the scoffer. A lot of times when we think about happiness, we think about gaining knowledge, uh, gaining experience, gaining companionship. And here we have the kind of wrong knowledge, experience, and companionship. Notice the knowledge. This is walking in the counsel. The counsel is the knowledge or the advice or the scheme of the wicked. It's one guilty of a crime. I'm walking with them. I'm standing. I'm experiencing the path or the journey or the road of sinners, one who is inclined to sin, one who bears the blame, or sitting or the seating, the companionship, literally dwelling place it means, of scoffers, one who is characterized by being so proud and haughty, prone to deride and mock others. Put that off. Um, no better way to say it than the famous illustration of the frog in the kettle pot, Right? So if you drop a frog in a pot of boiling water, so I'm told, I can't say I've I've tried this. I've dissected dead ones, but never taken a live one and tried this. But it will, of course, frantically try to clamor out if you just drop them in a pot of boiling water, right? You know this? But if you place it gently in a pot of tepid water and turn the heat on low, it will float there quite placidly. As the water gradually heats up, the frog will sink into a tranquil stupor exactly like one of us in a hot bath and before long with a smile on its face, it will unresistingly allow itself to be boiled to death. And I'm saying, that could be you. That could be me. It doesn't start right away with the boiling hot we know not to touch. But if we start getting kind of, I don't know if I really buy into the way and all this Bible stuff and all this pastor whatever John says stuff, I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but... We can get there, right? You could get there about Christianity, about so many. This whole idea of deconstructing your faith is such a popular topic nowadays. Anyway, I want to encourage you to put off, but notice there is the joy of being deliberate about your sanctification and your putting on. Look at verse two. And don't miss this. It doesn't start with put on and then put off. The Apostle Paul never goes... Put on, then put off. It's not about you adding Bible reading to your life and then repenting and turning to Jesus. It starts with you saying, I'm wrong, I admit, I'm going the wrong direction, please forgive me. And then you add on. You don't put on before you put off, okay? It goes in the order of put off, put on. And here the put on is beautiful. It's the discipline of Bible reading that we see here in verse two. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord in his law, he meditates day and night. Notice the putting on here the discipline of Bible reading and reflection. The delight is the joy, the pleasure of something precious. It's the knowledge, the law of the Lord, knowing the instructions. How do we know it? By reading it. How do we put it on? The discipline of Bible reflection here. Meditate, murmur, mutter, to growl. The idea of the, the cow that's chewing its cud. You're, you're chewing on the law, the Torah, the instructions. By reflecting on it day and night, it's an experience, this meditation. It's this idea of speaking to yourself over and over again and and thinking, okay, what is it that I just read? What does it mean to me? How does it relate? The companionship is actually knowing God. That's the beauty of it. So, okay, I'm asking you to consider two ways, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. There's two paths that you can take when it comes to getting right with your holiness, your walk with God. Your right with holiness is put off your sin, wrong people, wrong practices, and put on Bible reading, Bible reflection. Just a quick question: How are you doing in that category? Are you reading something in a disciplined way, trying to take in the Bible? If you're not, U Version has over 200 different Bible reading programs that you could use. The one that I found recently is an overview of the Bible that could be read. By reading one chapter a day, it gets it done in three years, like I talked about. And it gives you, in Sunday, it gives you the poetry section. On Monday, it gives you historical section. It it works through the different sections of the Bible, and you mark it off. That's what my kids are doing right now. I want to encourage you to have something, do something. You say, okay, yeah, I know that. Well, let me see if you um, couldn't do anything but feel the Bible and read it that way because you were blind, you needed Braille, how, how aggressive would you be at reading the Bible, right? Um, this is uh, astounding. I hope it's an encouragement to you. There's a picture of the Bible in Braille. A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion. Evangelist Robert Sumner tells about him in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. The victim's face was so badly disfigured, he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was just a new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. Much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion. One day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time Robert Sumner wrote his book, the man had read or licked through the entire Bible four times. Okay, so I'm just saying, if somebody could do that, can you get in the word? Can I get in the word? Absolutely. So we have the contrast, get honest about your situation, the caution, be deliberate about your sanctification. And the last point I want to bring up is the conclusion. So be thoughtful about your selection. So you can, and I can enjoy, meaning and purpose in life. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word know here has the idea of yada, which is this concept in the Hebrew of observing and having insight. He knows it firsthand. And what does it look like? It looks like through the context of, we see this idea in verse 2, satisfaction. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight taking pleasure in really understanding, man, God, you're good by the time I'm spending in the word. The security, this is powerful. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. So what I would love for you to consider is first you could circle the fact that it's streams with an S. So it says plural streams, not just one stream, multiple resources as we dig into the word, but the fact that we're planted, this is a bit, probably better translated as transplanted. I want you to understand this. Trees don't plant themselves, neither do sinful people transport themselves into God's kingdom. Salvation is his marvelous work of grace. God is the one who plants you. So when he calls you, he seals the deal. And you can see this demonstrated in Isaiah 63, 1-3, through 3, In Matthew 15, 13, but it is a great joy when I think of the security as I'm feasting on God's word that I can have satisfaction in him, I can find great happiness in spending time with him, and I can be absolutely secure. And notice the success that's found. It says says that it yields its fruit in its season. I love this in its season thing. First of all, fruitfulness is guaranteed because I'm spending time with God. And it says, in its season, which means I just need to be patient. I need to wait. Sometimes I want to be further along. A lot of times I want to be further along than where where I am. Just be patient and allow the work of the Spirit to do something that transforms you. And He can do that. Leaf doesn't wither. I think there's also a picture of attractiveness in this idea of success and being patient in the process. The opposite, of course, is that we have the side of experiencing failure. In verses four through six, notice verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Literally not so the wicked, not so the chaff. It's a frequent Old Testament word picture of worthlessness. Harvest time for the uh, unsubstantial, without value, something that when you beat the wheat, it floats up and it produces frustration. You want to head the way of the wicked, you're going to be frustrated. You want to head the way of the wicked, you're going to find humiliation. Don't don't forget don't notice um, forget to notice in verse 5 the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Notice how the very beginning of the chapter starts with walking, standing, sitting. Well, here it ends with this idea of sitting. So the contrast here, it seems to imply that the wicked and the sinners who transition to the scoffer, the sitting position, have no hope of returning up from their seated position. It has the idea, also a reference, to the difference between what will happen today in this church where I can say to you, you got two choices, wicked or righteous, but I can't tell apart from spending time with you and maybe seeing fruit or lack thereof, but in heaven, it's going to be abundantly clear because only those that truly believe are in is really what happens in verse six, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's damnation. Perish, to be lost, to lose oneself, to wander, to be destroyed. I'm telling you, this is serious business. And I want you to join me in experiencing the great joy that God intends for all of us. So here's my application. I wanna encourage you to be honest about where you are right now. Like, where are you today? As you're hearing me bring this up, I'm landing this plane right now. Think about this: Where are you? Are you righteous or wicked? Avoid the frog in the kettle pot scenario. You may actually be boiling right now, and you don't realize it. If the spirit of God is whispering inside of you, yeah, that is me. I want to encourage you to repent and turn to Him. You can do that right now. The second thing I encourage you to do is to be deliberate about your sanctification, your holiness, your process of becoming more like Christ. Don't miss this again. Put off first, put on second. That's just the way it works. But Christ is the one who enables you to put on the victory. He's the one that arms you so that you can go into the battle. So find hope and joy and security in that. And then finally be thoughtful in your selection. Enjoy God by delighting in his word and exchange your wickedness for Christ's righteousness. I have found a wonderful app Um, through biblicalspirituality.org. It's reading the five psalms of the day, and it's something that you can get on your phone if you want to go through the process of reading through the psalms and taking them in in a systematic way. I've also read uh, Read the Bible, um, and it has a chapter in there about how to pray through Psalm 23 and the other psalms. That has been a tremendous benefit. But just dig in and enjoy God as you enjoy him through the word. Let's pray together. God, help us to know you more through our journey through the Psalms, and particularly Psalm 1. I pray, God, that you would draw out those who have been playing the game and have been faking everybody else out, but they know. I pray that they would turn to you. Help the rest of us that have turned to you to be humble and be ready to put off sin and to put on Christ-likeness. Help us, God, to enjoy you by spending time with you. So bless us as we persevere to honor you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.